0: Hey, it's Kevin. Before the show starts, I just wanted to give a quick heads-up. The audio is not going to be great on my end in this episode. I was struggling with the mic a little bit when this was recorded back in May. So since then, we've been stockpiling episodes and getting better and better at this every single week. Uh, But this one is really great, especially a new segment we introduce. So stay tuned. We have a great episode. And just please pardon the audio difficulties that get better and better as the show goes on and more and more episodes get released. So, thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. I am Kevin Verga, and in just a moment, I, along with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino, are going to stop making sense. Devin, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Kevin. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good, you know? Things are starting to become more normal. I don't know how that feels. At the time of this recording, I am exactly two months quarantined. So.
1: (laughs) Two months in a day for me. Two months in a day. Yeah.
0: That Friday, that was our last hurrah.
1: Um, Our last hurrah. Yeah, overall, I'm
0: doing good. Thank you for asking. Things are starting to seem like they make sense, but in just a moment, you and I are going to stop making sense. And what that means is every episode, Dev and I choose a new talking head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander and take us to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music, where we answer such burning questions as Who took the money? Who took the money away? Where? Where is my common sense? Why stay in college? Why go to the night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. This week's episode, we're doing the song Cross-Eyed and Painless off the 1980 album Remain in Light. The album is often regarded as one of the Talking Heads' best. It's a very odd, it's a magnum opus almost. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's not a normal album. It doesn't. It's very unique, even for the Talking Heads. A lot of people feel it's the most solid and conceptually consistent. Some of the, you know, most well-known songs off that album are "Born Under Punches," "The Great Curve." Of course, one of the most popular Talking Heads songs is "Once in a Lifetime." And of course, the song we're doing this week, which is Cross-Eyed and Painless. Devin, what are your impressions or memories associated with the album?
1: It's interesting, because like, my experience with the Talking Heads is I didn't really listen album by album, but it was just something my dad listened to. CDs, but he would cycle them in and out, so I wouldn't really associate them with the album. But Once in a Lifetime, Born Under Punches, and Cross-Eyed and Painless are like the three songs on this album I grew up with.
0: I mean, that's really great, because... It really fascinates me when people have such an intense connection to a band. A lot of songs that span over their whole career, but don't really have an association with an album. They just took it in in different ways. Like you said, the CDs were everywhere. Maybe you had this at this point when you were young on iPods. and You know, it's just on whatever came up, came up. Because when I was young, I like worked really hard to be like, oh, which song is on which album? And I try to like yeah. remember full albums this kind of started with the Beatles, which is on the Help album. What's every song on Sgt. Pepper's? Until I was neurotic at a very young age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we kind of have different backgrounds. This is you at a young age, and this is me kind of just finding it now at, at 23 years old.
1: Yeah, and I honestly have a much new appreciation for it because you said it's a hard to grasp album, and it is. It's, I mean, we've said it with every album. It's like the Talking Heads reinvents theirso- themselves. But this one especially, um, they're working with Brian Eno who was a music producer who's been at the head of like every major music movement in the seventies and eighties, but they were taking influence. And this is something I only came to appreciate later on. Like we were talking about before I grew up with Cross-Eyed and Painless, but I have a whole new interpretation of it. Now that I found out that this album as a whole was drawing on the music of Fela Kuti. So Fela Kuti ended up being a musician I studied in class and I really appreciated and liked his music. It's cool to hear that. And you can definitely hear the influences of it. And there's also a B-side Fela beat or Fela rhythm, where they basically make a song in the style of Fela Kuti. Could you, um, could you maybe
0: go into who Fela Kuti is?
1: Yeah, so Fela Kuti was a Nigerian musician, um, led the Afro beat music. He was a pioneer in the genre. He was also a human rights activist, fighting against mainly some of the negative things the Nigerian military at the time was using or some of the negative tactics that we using at the time. I know his mother was actually killed by the military. He wrote a song by that. Something
0: I've found is, is every album leading up to this one,
1: and even ones coming after
0: it, I found it hard to think, who is influencing Talking Heads? Who are they listening to and then saying, okay, I kind of want to make music like that. I mean, they pioneered the new wave movement because they were so new sounding. You, know, you mentioned Eno and Kuti, these were direct sound influencers of the talking heads and it's it's surprising that when their influences are so close and so readily named then their most consistent album comes out with one of their biggest songs maybe it's because knowing where something came from makes it more palpable and understandable to an audience although this album i've heard during my research wasn't Very well received. Um, And it actually took a long time for once in a lifetime to really pick up and and get on the charts. But, you know, it has a a fascinating background, too. There's a lot of band tension and they they changed their writing styles. Um, A lot of this music was born out of jam sessions and had polyrhythms, but still kept that jittery punk aesthetic that ultimately turned into Remain in Light and ultimately turned into songs like Cross-Eyed and Painless, which has such a... It's still the talking heads, but it's a totally new sound for them. It's very cool.
1: <laughs> I like what you said about that jittery punk sort of feel. I think that's a nice segue into Cross-Eyed and Painless. Because mm-hmm. Cross-Eyed and Painless, if I had to describe it in a word, it would be jittery. It is a very yeah. jittery, again, I'm going to use that word neurotic song, right? It's, it has that endless flow to it. Lost my shape, trying to act casual. Can't stop, I might end up in the hospital. These statements, they just hit you, right? One after the other. I mean, that's how it feels almost. It feels like you're getting hit by something again and again and again with each line.
0: yeah, I like how I a lot of these talking head songs open up with just such a good thesis statement. you know if I was an <laughs> English teacher, I'd be like, yes, they, they got the thesis statement, lost my shape, trying to act casual. What a great opening lyric couplet you can read a whole you can have a whole English class just. Yeah breaking that down and the the kevin lyric of of the week is this this first verse lost my shape trying to act casual can't stop i might end up in a hospital for something that's so out there and hard to grasp onto something about it like just stuck on me and i was like yes i feel that in a way and if i can already get overly analytical
1: on the first let's do it (laughs) all right great that's what we're here for.
0: <laughs> Lost My Shape, firstly, is interesting. It's just a statement. It's, it's a fact. And we'll get into facts later. It's like one of the most heavily repeated words in this song. Trying to act casual. And I just love that phrase, act casual. Because it's so widely used in pop culture. But I never really, it almost doesn't make sense to me to act casual. Where have you heard that phrase "act casual" in your life?
1: It's interesting too, because maybe going back to the mind of middle school Dev, and I'm getting back in there on the bus, <laughs> I would picture this song, right? <laughs> I don't know. I always pictured the first song, like David Byrne up on stage, and then he turns into a triangle. And he's trying <laughs> to act casual, and like let no one—and this is like just how I thought of it—like let no one catch on to the fact that he was a triangle. Like I interpreted it literally. So, yeah. know, I'm a middle schooler. I'm not thinking deeply about the lines. As I would think with the song, it would be like almost a game. I would try to change with each line, him into a different shape. So like I would be picturing the performance in my head and each time. So in the next line, he turned into a hospital and then he changed his shape again. He was a square. I would just try to do it and see if I could move my mind with each line to come up with some new (laughs) visual image to associate with it. I love
0: those going back to your childhood and like when you first kind of start interpreting lyrics. And seeing visuals associated with them and and try to do that. It's great that, you know, that's your experience with it. Yeah. Because whenever I think of acting casual, it's also in those wacky scenarios. Usually, I think it's in a cartoon or a sitcom where, like, they're up to no good. And they say, act casual. And they, like, all stick their hands in their pockets and, like, whistle. And, oh, the principal walks by, like, hey, (laughs) students. And they're like, good, we got away with it. That's what I kind of latched onto. It was like, how do you act casual? Like, what, is it, what does it mean? Because it sounds impossible, right? Uh-huh. The word casual, or at least acting casual, is an oxymoron. It's impossible because something that's occurring by chance, you can't force that and you can't act casual, which is why the characters in the sitcom inevitably get caught for whatever they're doing wrong because you can't act casual. But then I'm looking into these words, looking into these words on Webster's Dictionary and looking up word meanings. And then I start coming across words that come from casual, like casualty. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking, what would a casual casualty be? Is that a death that happens by chance? Or is that someone dying nonchalantly? You know, like, I'm dead, but, you know, no big deal. I mean, it happens to
1: everyone. (laughs) And the other thing, too, is like, When someone says, oh, you know, it's casual dress. There's nothing more stressful than someone telling you it's casual dress, whether it be business casual or casual. What is casual? I'm totally there with you. What the hell does that mean? What the heck does that mean? And casual Friday is not happening by chance.
0: You schedule it and everyone shows up and it's, it's almost like the boss says, you decide what you think casual is. And it's, Maybe that's the chance, the informality of it all, is that you get to decide how you dress that day. But it's, so, it's still not, if we're going off the formal term of casual, it's mm-hmm. not casual. But then I thought of someone dying nonchalantly and imagining that, maybe a triangle man that just got. There you know, we go. <laughs> and then I'm like, can you act chalant? Is every other of the week, day of the week is Monday through Thursday before you get to casual nonchalant Friday? Is Evan acting chalant? But fun fact, Evan, chalant yeah, is not a word.
1: Really? Chalant. So you can, <laughs> no, it's, oh, so but it's, is, is non nonchalant a word? So oh, to
0: be non nonchalant.
1: Like, okay, if nonchalant is a word, I'll give you that. Nonchalant's a word, but chalant is not a word. Then if you want it to be just chalant, but that's not a word, you'd be non nonchalant. Yeah, word? he he wasn't very nonchalant about it. He was all up in my face. I
0: guess you can say that, but you can't say he was very chalant. It doesn't sound very. It doesn't sound very right.
1: Non nonchalant, oh. very chalant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> chalant is not a word because casual has roots in Latin, but chalant or nonchalant has roots in French. So I can
1: hear it, that chalant.
0: Chalant, yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing. So I'm getting all worked up with all these word meanings. Yeah, where are you going with this? <laughs> excited to see. And here's my existential breakthrough.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: makes me have some sort of closure, but makes me feel no- more jittery and neurotic. is that, here's the thing, Kevin, my thesis. So excited. <laughs> Everyone is acting casual all the time, but no one is really nonchalant. No one is ever nonchalant. Everyone is really chalant. I think everyone is having really intense, real emotions all the time. Sure. But we, to the world, we just are like, nah, just going through life. It's no big deal. We're hanging in there, you know? How's it going? Good. Nonchalant. Very coy. But we're talking about real life realities. You know, (laughs) I have on my notes... Life is suffering and confusion mixed with fleeting glimpses of happiness and clarity. But normal people act happy all the time. And I thought of social media or phone calls and Mm -hmm. smile. Hello. Oh, great to hear from you.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're all acting casual, even though it's impossible.
1: So I'm going to grasp onto something you said there, like my major interpretation of the song, This Listen Around. You said everyone's acting casual all the time. Did you see the music video for Cross-Eyed and Painless? I have not. So I discovered it, I, I, I had never seen it before this. I didn't know there was a video, I discovered it by accident when I was looking up the lyrics to the song. And it's, to, it's cool, it's like nothing the Talking Heads have ever done before. I mean, they're not in, one of the major things is they're not in the music video at all. It's just street dancers that they hired. But there's this really, and it gave me a whole different interpretation of the song. Um, and I was almost seeing it in terms of like pre, predetermined identities and roles by background, right? like these ideas, these systemic ideas of who we are based on where we're born, our socioeconomic status, whatever it may be. And there's this really cool graphic they do throughout the video is they'll have this abstract shape, but then you'll see the person who's dancing will fit into that shape. So I I can't really describe it. You have to watch the video to see, but they'll have this abstract shape and then you'll realize, oh, it's the profile of this person doing a specific position, right? And it's almost like, you know, like this predetermined, they have to do this. They're doing very, very, um, it's like, it's hard to describe, but so they have these shapes, right. And the person lines up with it in this predetermined stance. It's almost like, because they are who they are, they have to end up this way. This idea of predetermined identities and roles by background. And I'm trying to pick up, there are specific lines that really said that to me. I mean, and we'll talk a little bit more about the facts part later, because I think that really has to do with how people bend facts to fit what they want to say. But especially throughout the song, I think there's this idea, right? This guy who's confronting the fact that I don't really know who I am. I know there's these systems in place that say I have to act casual. I have to fit into this certain frame. But he's confronting the fact that, wait a second, who am I, right? I've just changed my shape. I feel like an accident. Maybe to give an example of something like that, right? So your parents are both teachers, and you believe that you have to be a teacher too, because that's the model you were born into. But then one day you wake up and you say, no, I want to be a musician, right? And then you're suddenly in this weird state where you have to go against these parts of your identity that they thought you thought were central to you, but aren't. Am I making sense here?
0: Uh, you stop making sense.
1: No, 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 I totally, okay. we're like, we're right where I
0: always want to be in conversations where we feel like we're on the cusp of some connection, but we're right. like, but, there's, there's that missing link, and I think that's what's so exciting, Is that I feel that, and I, I hear that in the, in the music, this almost predeterminism that yeah. comes from the music right. video, that like, oh, what is this abstract shape? Oh, it's almost this person's dancing destiny. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they'll fit into this shape, and if they lose their shape, like David Byrne sings, they feel like an accident. They might end up in a hospital. It's not what's of going according to plan you're outside the realm of what's expected exactly. and i think that when that happens there's this internal struggle of like what do i do but then there's also the external of the onlookers and i think towards the end of the first verse transferring into the chorus if what i'm picturing talking about what's in my mind right the first few verses it's all personal pronouns i lost my shape I can't stop, I might end up in the hospital. Last line, they are back to explain their experience. That's good, yeah. And then into the chorus, multiple voices. In the live version and even in the studio version, female voices, different speakers saying, isn't it weird? Looks too obscure to me, wasting away. That was their policy. And it, I hear like almost, it sounds like a siren song or almost female roman gods you know like coming down or maybe some powerful oligarchy coming in or on looking on this weird out of shape person observing how weird and obscure they are because they're Mm -hmm. not fitting into their predetermined teacher uh (laughs) way almost like it's the giver where they're given their their jobs
1: i mean exactly and that line helped me out a lot i think they're back to explain the experience and yeah i mean you know Depending on where you're born, what family you're born into, there's all these things. There's all these predetermined characteristics of who we are, right? Someone else is explaining our experience. Well, if you were born in this neighborhood, then you're going to be very successful. This is a rich neighborhood, right? You're going to have a great life, yada, yada, yada. They're explaining your experience just by other people are explaining the experience. And the person's confronting that and saying, no, I don't have to fit into these predetermined characteristics or these predetermined traits that society may tell me I have to fit into. And that's why he can't act casual anymore, because he's almost like, this is what society has framed me to do. This is society wants me to do, but it's not necessarily what I have to do. I can't get the exact words. Am I yeah. making a little more sense now? Yes, yes. Because going into the,
0: you know, we have the second verse where he, he starts talking about pushing fracks in front of him. He's ready to leave, almost like he's ready to leave this constricting hometown. Right. But then we go back into that chorus with the these angelic harmonic voices. It seems like they're talking about the speaker saying, there was a line. There was a formula that he was supposed to follow. Exactly. Sharp as a knife, but your facts cut a hole in us. Almost like him deviating from the norm hurt them in some way. And I feel like maybe, you know, making a more social, broad social observation, talking about a small town, or even people like you and me that are trying to forge a career and, and new life out of college in New York City. Parents and people onlooking from our small suburban hometowns are like, had, whether they want to admit it or not, expectations for us. And... You know, almost like trying to act casual is impossible trying to meet any expectation ever is never going to happen mm-hmm. and it it almost cuts maybe sometimes your parents like a knife when they say i don't want to be a teacher i want to be a musician it, right. I'm not, i don't want to live your dream i want to live mine like every sitcom emotional mm-hmm. moment like <laughs> no dad right, right. <laughs> i'm living your dream sorry that got. <laughs> you,
1: you want to talk about that <laughs>
0: I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for asking,
1: though. We'll do a bit later.
0: Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> we'll work it out in
1: a bit later. Yeah. You're born in the United States. You have to follow this American dream. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? There's this predetermined um, path to your existence. And I think in this song, the person is confronting the fact well, I, the, the American dream, that's what's explaining your experience, right? That's something that's given to you outside. And this person is realizing that, wait, this isn't central to me, this isn't something I care about. And now they can't act casual. They're trying to act casual. They're trying to be like, oh, I still give in to those ideals. I still believe in that. But they can't. And they're breaking away from society. And that's when things are difficult, right? That's why they're changing their shape. They're transforming into something else. But he's feeling like an accident because there's these societal systems that are in place that says you should be this way or you should believe this or you should grow up in such a way to do this job. And it leaves us in this very weird state when we break away from that.
0: Yeah, and there's just so many good lyrics that are very esoteric and hard to grab onto, but in some way, they explain that experience, Mm -hmm. even if they don't really seem to make much sense. Some of them are, you know, later on in the song, the island of doubt. Something about that is like, yeah, Yeah. I, I can picture that in my head. It tastes like medicine. I know that experience. I know what medicine tastes like. Or working in hindsight got the message from the oxygen, making a list, find the cost of opportunity, things like that, it's almost, those lyrics encapsulate how we're feeling right now, like we're just on the cusp of discovering some deeper meaning or connection, these these are almost just out of our grasp of totally understanding the simile or metaphor that he's trying to make, but something in them Gives me solace, and I'm like, yeah, I, he's just as confused as I am. Usually, the singers and songs like they have it all figured out. They know exactly what emotion is, and we're the ones like, oh, thank you for explaining it to me. Third Eye Blind, you really showed me how it is to be nostalgic and sad about a past loved one. But in this neurotic, jittery, punk, polyrhythmic, African-influenced song, somehow I'm finding solace in the unknown of not totally understanding
1: the lyrics. Right. I mean, and I just got the word I was looking for, and that helped a lot. It's alienation. The person's becoming alienated from society. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it can be a very positive thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of social norms that work to people's detriment, that are detrimental, that aren't positive. But we're just so used to living with them that we accept them, right? That men are supposed to be in these jobs, and women are supposed to be in these jobs, right? These social categories this person's feeling alienated from it. They're suddenly realizing that they don't fit into these categories very well. And because the, the you know powers that be, the man society is instructing us to follow them so much, it's making him worried. It's making him afraid. He's feeling like he has to go to the hospital, but really it can be a beneficial thing to break away like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just like trying to act casual is impossible. Meeting expectations and rules, they'll never really be met. We're talking about images in our heads they'll never be what we have and mm-hmm. that's a sad reality or it's very freeing understanding that you don't have to fit the mold you can do anything you might wind up in the hospital but is it not worth the shot
1: except i think at the same time too it's very difficult to do like just like this person saying because of those societal systems are so ingrained they're so yeah. strongly in place that we should be able to break away from that we should be free to break away from these norms But it's a very difficult thing to do and you can tell by this person who's very jittery. They're very nervous. They're going crazy about it because they're struggling. They, maybe they do feel a sense of freedom, a sense of release, but at the same time, they realize, well, I have to try to act casual. I have to try to fit in because there's a line, there's a formula, right? A very specific place that I'm supposed to fit into and to break away from this, although it might be better for myself in the long run and better for others. I won't be able to function in society. It's tough. It's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult, it's a very tense song. Yes. No one
0: said it'll be easy. You know, that's, I like that. Let's give ourselves a break. Let's thank some sponsors. We'll come back with a new segment and we'll continue breaking down
1: cross-eyed and Painless when, when we're back after these messages. Have you lost your shape? Are you trying to act casual? Can you not stop? Are you worried you might end up in the hospital? Well, be still waiting no longer and contact Cross and Ida Law Firm. Whether lawyers all come with points of view, won't do what you want them to, and just twist the truth around, at Cross and I, the law firm, we find the facts simple and straight. We pride ourselves on not being lazy and not being late. Feeling like with your case, there's nothing there, no information left of any kind. We want to explain your experience, regardless if it looks too obscure to thee. After looking for danger signs and getting to the bottom line, We address every case with a formula, and we will be sharp as a knife, making sure your opponent will not cut a hole in your suit. Wasting your time is not our policy. Get off the island of doubt. With Cross and I, the law firm, you will taste the medicine. We don't work by hindsight. We get the message, make a list, and at the cost of opportunity, we are doing it right. Cross and I, the law firm, is not useless in emergencies. If other firms have left you living, turned inside out, and you feel you are not getting the best of them, don't go out and slam the door. Contact Cross and I, the law firm. We will ensure that your process is as painless as possible. We have a
0: brand new segment. It's called Devin and Kevin Die. (laughs) I have a die here. And I, you know, I don't know if you can hear that on the mic. Uh, I have a die-dial roll, and there's three rolls that are going to set up our bit of the week. Um, and we're going to fall into these characters that I have signed for us. So, first roll is separated into odds or evens. Devin, this week you are odd every week, maybe. As always, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, this week I am even. Even Keevan, and that's what they call me. And I'm going to roll, and then I have six characters that we're going to roll for. So, first roll: five. So, Devin, your odds. We're, we're going to roll for you on the character here. Okay. Roll again. Another five. You are someone who is waiting for something. All right? Gotcha. Get into that character while I roll for myself. Which character will I be? We got, okay. <laughs> we got another five. I did not <laughs> see this coming.
1: We're both waiting for we're something.
0: Waiting for something. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> okay. And now I have six events. This will be the final roll. A four. Uh, one of us is taking medicine. So one of us took medicine. We're both waiting for something.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> is there a location? No.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, okay. So we're both waiting for something and one of us just took medicine.
0: Yeah, one of us just took medicine. We can roll who took the medicine. Do you want me to roll for medicine? Let's, or, let's or see
1: who took the medicine, yeah. Okay,
0: let's see who took the medicine. Final <laughs> roll. Uh, you took the medicine. And we're both okay. waiting for something. Gotcha. And now we fall into an End scene.
1: Mm, just took this medicine. Yeah, these are just some anti-anxiety meds. I'm a little stressed out. I'm supposed to be meeting someone here. It's a blind date. I'm pretty excited for it. but.
0: Oh, no way. Is this yeah. your like, first blind date? I'm, I'm also waiting for someone.
1: Yeah, this is my first blind date. I mean, I looked up online. I think I got all the rules right. I put on my blindfold. I made sure to cover my ears. So it's like no senses, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I just don't know when the person's going to show up because I can't see or hear them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I noticed that because when you walked in, I was here first um, and I saw, you know, you walk in, you walked right full speed into the hostess who tried to seat you. You couldn't hear her say, sir, sir, stop. You knocked over her table and then proceeded to the seat right next to me. You're sitting very close to me. That's okay. You know, we both have tables next to each other. Are you expecting someone? Did you meet them on, like, an app or something? Like, how do you know that they're coming?
1: Yeah, so we met, I met them on an app, um, blind dating for the senseless. Um, <laughs> oh, and I should clarify, too. The reason we're able to concentrate is because that medicine I took, it wasn't just anti-anxiety. Have you seen the movie Limitless? Uh yeah, think, yeah. With yeah, Ryan, is Ryan Gosling?
0: Yeah, it's definitely Ryan Gosling.
1: Well, right, right. I go to the movies.
0: I wear a blindfold and I, I cover my ears, but so I kind of just guess what it's about. But I've definitely been to
1: Limitless. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so that anti anxiety medicine is actually a pill that allows me to use one hundred percent of my brain. So we're yeah. speaking telepathically right now. But yeah, blind date. The dating app for the Senseless was how I met this match. I just imagine Um, that
0: since we're speaking telepathically, like we're just staring very intensely at each other, right next to each other in a booth, and just like scrunched up faces. And we were like, oh my God, that's crazy. So do you have like a connection with this person? Because I'm also on a blind date, and I had like just the most wonderful conversation with this person. Like they don't show you their face or their name or anything. So you just, it's a new app. Um, it's actually the same one that you did, you know, blind dating for the senseless and yeah, I just like really had a connection. We're talking about music and they like the talking
1: heads and I just feel like
0: there's a real connection there. So did you have something like that as well?
1: Well, the nice thing about, I think, blind date for the senseless is that it's just a completely blank screen on your phone. Mm -hmm. It's Supposed to be completely surprising. But yeah, I just walked in here. As you know, I've been waiting for my blind date. So I'm not sure how it's going to go or when they show up. But I'm sure it'll be great.
0: Your nose is bleeding. Is that part of the medication? Does that normally happen?
1: Oh, yeah. That's just, this, I mean, 100% of the brain, you know. A <laughs> couple bad side. You can't just get, reap all the benefits and not expect. You
0: think, you think I'm going <laughs> to have 100% of my brain and I have a goddamn nosebleed every once in a while? Oh, my God. I mean, that's so crazy. You know, it's, you're really funny and you're such a cool person. And it's so odd because i feel like me and you have the same connection that i'm feeling with this person i'm waiting for it's so crazy like it's almost like i don't want them to show up and i almost like would prefer to just have a date with you like this person who's having 100% of their brain that seems a lot cooler than whoever whoever chump i'm waiting for i mean that's kind of crazy
1: <laughs> i mean it's a gift and a curse using 100% of your brain the nosebleeds are obviously part of the curse
0: yeah it's getting worse <laughs>
1: <laughs> i can't feel it again the senseless part of it but the telepathy the telepathy tele- tel- you also have one of the side effects too is you can't it's hard you to get stutter, out. You stutter. You
0: stutter more when you're using like a
1: presenter because so many things are going on at once i can't actually remember why i came into this restaurant
0: well you're waiting for someone you're waiting oh yeah yeah
1: my blind oh my, date oh my
0: god wait
1: wait I, I i am waiting
0: oh yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> You sound so familiar could it be that we're waiting for each other? Wait, are you are you Derek?
1: I am Derek. Well, I used to be Derek until I got a hundred percent of my brain and I became x three twenty four. <laughs> Why?
0: Oh my god, you're Elon Musk's kid, That's amazing. Elon, Musk's kid.
1: <laughs> Elon Musk's kid I actually started blind date the app and we are you're now on a date with me Elon Musk's kid <laughs>
0: The, the host i'm sorry those up? speech <laughs> <laughs> those words, sir sir your hand is fully grasped on the candle in the middle of the table your hand is is bleeding sir and so is your nose do you
1: need to go to the hospital no just a side effect don't worry <laughs> not a problem
0: oh my god when you can use a
1: hundred percent of your brain
0: <laughs> you're sweating profusely sir people are like leaving the restaurant i i'm sorry i think i'd be happy to ask you to leave can you please go
1: I levitate out using my,
0: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh God <laughs> yeah, That was just me by myself. God, they were so hot. That was crazy.
1: <laughs> Probably was the candle that was in my hand that was so hot. Yeah.
0: Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that was a pretty successful first round of Ke- Devin and Kevin die. That was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting us to get the same number, but I like that we were both waiting.
1: They worked, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seemed like you only got less functional when you took this 100% of your brain pill. You didn't get any more <laughs> functional. So, so when I was great.
1: able to access 100% of my brain, I accessed parts of the brain I didn't know, like my brain weather forecaster. Yeah. And he was, I was sort of having a conversation with him at the same time. We were arguing over the endless cycle of brain weather casting. But...
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> In real life, coming back to real life to grind ourselves. Today is May 14th, 2020.
1: Also, just want to add, happy birthday, David Byrne. May 14th, David's birth, David no
0: birthday. No way. Birthday. Remember, happy birthday, birthday, David Byrne. If you're listening. Happy birthday, my dad.
1: Happy my birthday. My dad. Man. Wow.
0: And David Byrne.
1: Um, it's pretty amazing. It's almost like rolling the number five on a die twice and having the same <laughs> situation
0: both musicians both easily as great um that's for sure uh so we were talking before we started recording me and Devin um we have normal conversations as well as two humans and uh <laughs> we were talking about how it's um just about exactly two months of quarantine for both of us uh Devin if I can spoil the surprise you in two days are graduating college um class of 2020 how does that feel? How are
1: you doing? I mean, it's a strange time. It's a strange time to graduate because I'm about to graduate college, but I'm in my childhood home. You know, I'm recording this podcast for my childhood bed. So it's like this interesting contrast right now. I mean, there's still this excitement. I still have it on my calendar, right? Graduation day. It still feels like I'm moving towards something, but at the same time, you don't really get that sense of closure, that finality of it. So it's weird. It's just, I don't want to say it's sad or it's happy, whatever it is. It's just a strange, it's weird. I don't really know what to make of it, right? I feel like I'm going to get out of college and just move on to the next thing, and there's going to be no separation between it, which in some ways can be good, but be nice to have that closure.
0: It's definitely unique. I mean, there's really no one else to talk about it with other than people that are going through it in the class of 2020. Yeah. Um, So I laud and applaud you. Uh, and the rest of the class of 2020 for for going through it and, and for graduating. I mean, we met each other at college. Mm-hmm. And uh, look at us now. In, in Probably by the time this episode is released to the general public, you will be uh, teaching in a big city, all on your own, doing uh, grown-up things, which is exciting.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we'll be able to teach in person. <laughs> we'll have to see with the progression of things. But teaching in some capacity.
0: Teaching in some capacity, as you teach me every week. This you know what's really exciting is that this song is probably the first one in a long time that you didn't have some secret key to understanding the lyrics that you were hiding from me while I <laughs> grasp for straws of trying to understand it. You seem both equally confused um by cross-eyed and painless. <laughs> Let's hop back into the song. Is there any spot
1: that you want to hop back into? Yeah, so I want to go pretty close to the end here um, when he starts talking about facts. So he has that verse four when he goes on, facts are simple and facts are straight. Facts aren't lazy and facts aren't lame. He goes and goes. First, I think it's like one of the coolest parts of the song. And if you see the video of it and stop making sense, it's also really cool. And that part of the song, have you seen of course mm-hmm, but you know the part I'm talking about where like the lights go dark and they take away the guitar as he's singing and it almost looks like it disappears just a really cool part of the song
0: it's nice to have stage hands like when he takes his jacket off and just holds it behind him and some guy yes. who, like runs up I love that superpower of just like taking off an article <laughs> of clothing and someone comes up and takes it from me I guess that's called getting robbed um <laughs> for most of us <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great part of the song. It's you know this is 1980 when that's when that movie came out. It's 1984. These are the, uh-huh. the initial stages of hip hop and rap music coming about. Um, most of it comes about in New York, where the talk heads are located. And this is almost like a hip hop or rap cadence that he he brings in. Just a quick fact before we go back into you know I don't want to break your train of thought. Yeah. Break here's foreshadowing. Here we go. The breaks. These are the breaks. You know that rap song? Like that's like one of the yeah. first hip hop songs um, by Curtis Blow. And Chris France did the drum beat to that. Hmm. Did you know that?
1: No, I had I don't learned that so today. Cool.
0: He did the drum beat on like one of the first rap songs that like really laid down the framework of what a bar is and what the rhyme scheme of a, of a rap song could be. Granted, that song was very, very simple in terms of hip hop. Um, okay. The rhyme scheme that, that David Byrne introduces in this song is almost more complicated than the first hip hop song, The Breaks. But I just found that fascinating that I was like, oh, this is almost like a rap song. And then Chris France is almost a, dare I say, a hip hop pioneer of laying down <laughs> one of the m- inaugural hip hop beats.
1: No, it is. I mean, I was just looking too at my notes here because I, a big thing in the background of this album is that. David Byrne and Brian Eno, who had a major role in developing the earlier albums, both agreed that they wanted to get the rest of the band more involved. And I think he talked about a little bit of like the tension between the band members. So I think that definitely has to do with the fact that Chris Franz probably had more of a voice in this album, so he could incorporate yeah. some of those things into it, some of those things he was trying with other bands. So that's very cool. I had no idea about that. Um, but yeah, I just want to talk about facts. And it's interesting that you said 1982, because 1980 space, too yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because like the fir- as I was coming back to this song, the big thing I was thinking about is sort of like the idea of fake news, right? And the misappropriation of facts. At the same time though, we're talking about 1980, so it's almost anachronistic to maybe apply this to it, but I think it's an interesting way to take the song. So we see lines here like Facts are simple and facts are straight. Facts aren't lazy and facts aren't lame. Facts don't come with points of view. Facts don't do what I want them to. It's something I think we do a lot. We try to twist fact, or we see people do a lot, twisting facts to get across an idea that they want to get across. Um, I mean, that's the whole idea of fake news, right? Using facts to fit the narrative that you want to tell. And the thing about facts is, you know, facts are simple and facts are straight. A fact itself should be something that's consistent with objective reality. In science, it's something that's repeatable and through careful observation. In history, it's something that actually happened. But we're living in this really strange time now, and it's especially rampant in the time of coronavirus and news about COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Facts no longer need to be grounded in reality. I was thinking about these ideas, and I came across this article on Wired.com. It was just posted today, actually. Why is, so, is Facebook so afraid of checking facts? I think it's a pretty well-known thing that Facebook, there's a lot of f- f- false news that goes around on Facebook. And Facebook has come out in defense of that. And they say that they're not going to, they don't want to check facts. They refer to something called the backfire effect. It was really early in the 2010s. And basically the idea behind the backfire effect is that when our beliefs are challenged by contradictory facts, they actually get stronger. So it's like Mm -hmm. the opposite of what we'd expect. So if you're saying something and then I show you a fact that says the opposite, then that makes you more, um, that makes you, believe the facts that you, or makes you believe your opinion more. I mean, from a sort of conceptual standpoint, that makes sense, right? Or experiential standpoint, when our beliefs are threatened, we sometimes do turn to our own beliefs. However, this idea of a backfire effect, right? Exposing people to opposite perspectives, deepens polarization, has actually been proven to be false. Like it's not repli- replicable in science. There were a couple of articles in the early 2010s when they first found this paradigm, but studies that have tried to replicate it haven't found that to be the effect. I mean, the vast majority of cases shows that when people are exposed to facts or exposed to fact-checking services and are exposed to factually accurate information, even when it's opposite to their beliefs, they're actually more likely to change their belief. It's almost counterintuitive, though, too. And I'd like to hear about a little bit about like, your experience with this and your ideas on it. I mean, like if you see information that's contradictory to things you believe in, you become more steady in your beliefs or you're more willing to accept that. At first, I was leaning towards the side as, oh, yeah, Um, I was thinking of like, you know, confirmation bias. We hear a lot when we look for instances, the fact that we subconsciously look for news and look for things that support our beliefs rather than exposing ourselves to new ideas. But studies show, and I think it's true, that when we're shown that something is false and something is wrong, we don't believe that. We start to believe those facts.
0: I got one word for you,
1: Devin. Go for Pluto. it. Pluto.
0: Pluto is not a planet. And uh, that's the fact. How do you feel about that? Is Pluto a planet?
1: That's interesting, right? Because <laughs> I'm a dinosaur guy, uh-huh. as we all know. Dinosaurs. Brontosaurus what not a dinosaur.
0: What?
1: Brontosaurus isn't a dinosaur. So yes, it is. Let's do a little history. <laughs> I'll try it to mesodizer. make this quick. Reel me back in before I rattle off too much, okay, but okay. brontosaurus, another dinosaur, another long-necked dinosaur, sauropod, apodosaurus right? Apotosaurus was discovered first during the 1800s, Literally during the same time as cowboys, there was this bone war going on. Two major scientists, Cope and Marsh, were competing to find, see who could find the most dinosaurs the most. At one point, can't remember who it was, Cope or Marsh, had the dinosaur body, had another dinosaur head over here, put them together and said, look, I've discovered brontosaurus. Years later, scientists looked at that fossil and said, listen, this is just a dinosaur body and dinosaur head, the two people smushed together. Brontosaurus isn't a real dinosaur. Since it was a camerasaurus head on a Podosaurus body, and those two dinosaurs had the name first, those names stayed. Brontosaurus disappeared. People were in uproar, right? Brontosaurus, I grew up with Brontosaurus. It's not a thing more. It doesn't exist. I think that, and the same thing with Pluto, right? Pluto is a dwarf planet inside planet. That's interesting. That's a different, an interesting angle on it, because that's almost trying to see if that separates from fact and opinion, because that's like just a name, people not wanting to, hmm. (laughs) because with the brontosaurus case, I'm willing to accept, okay, brontosaurus was never a dinosaur. But again, you had that reaction before where you're like, yes, it is.
0: It's so fascinating because people are like,
1: that fact is
0: wrong, because I grew up with a different fact. Right. And I think it really comes down to openness. How open are you to challenging your beliefs? If you're a closed-off person, then the confirmation bias and the studies that say that you'll dig down even harder when you're challenged, if you're a closed-off person, are probably more true. But if you work to be open, you're probably more likely to have your views changed are we susceptible to confirmation bias as open-minded people of course but if you work to be open and you're mindful of okay you know i like to be open-minded but sometimes i'm a little staunch about my beliefs at least you know that and you can start to at least hear someone out or hear an opposing opinion out eventually these things come into the main the mainstream and kind of just become common knowledge like at one point the fact was the Earth is the center of the universe. And now I hear very young children joking about the heliocentric model. And I'm like, how do you know, like, how is that a joke? You guys are so young, that's so cool. That not only do they, is it so well known that the sun is the center, but now they also get the joke, which is cool. I was talking to my dad before, he was talk- He plays a guitar, and he's like, hey, look at this cool design. It's a yin and a yang, but it's guitars, it's acoustic guitar, yeah. And like the yin and the yang is like an Eastern philosophy that has become so popular that it's just a fact in Western culture too.
1: Well, you caught me. You got my overall conclusion. That's where I was going to get to is like, that's the idea. We, the only way to combat these things is to expose yourself to as many voices as possible, like yeah. confirmation bias, by purposely making sure you expose yourself to different views. That's the only way to overcome this. So I was looking into this confirmation bias and then it's, it's crazy because people are like, well, the first study on confirmation bias, this idea that we seek news or we seek things that match with our view, the study that was done on it, the majority of people actually didn't use the confirmation bias, but the researcher who published that paper was feeding into another bias, negativity bias, where he was posting the negative side of the information that this amount of people did the confirmation bias, even though it was wrong rather than the positive side that said the majority didn't. And then it was saying that further studies that have found confirmation bias, they think it's just hindsight bias. So many biases floating around here. But Mm -hmm. like, because they know only afterwards do I put the idea of confirmation bias on Pluto being a planet because I know that exists, even though it might not be a thing.
0: Could it be that researchers go into this situation with something they want to be right? Yes. Right. And that goes back to the line of facts don't do what I want them to. Well, I want people to not want to change their opinions because that's the more interesting thing. And I got to make a living and I got to sell this research. I want the research to be my livelihood. And that's really, is it selfish? Is that like a selfish thing? It's, it's almost understandable to want to have that end. Because as much as we like to be in science objective, human beings are doing the science making. And mm-hmm. we're full of bias and it's something that we have to, I
1: guess the best we can do is just
0: acknowledge that yeah, and go from there.
1: I mean, yeah. And there's a couple of great things there that I want to latch on to because that's where I was getting to, too, is turning back to David Byrne is that, you know, he's saying that we always put these opinions on facts. Even though facts should be simple and straight, we have our opinions. I mean, that's a major problem in psychology, which you were talking about, too, is that researchers, I mean, it's a problem with our system as a whole, going back to what we talked about before the ad, maybe systemic issues, is that researchers want to study things that they know will have clear results because then they get funding, right? Publications equal funding. That's problem in psychology is they're just studying well-established paradigms and continuing to build off research of things that we already know or things that they think should turn out a certain way. And again, that's sort of what Byrne is talking about, right? Like Facts should just be facts, but we twist them and we put our point of view in them, and it's difficult, and I wanted to ask you this question, too, is do you think we can ever adopt a completely objective perspective? Because we're always going to have those predispositions, those ideas, those things that are going to guide what we're looking for or determine how we're interpreting something.
0: No, I don't think we are. Because we're, the best and worst thing about humans is that we're the most subjective beings that have ever existed on planet Earth and maybe even in the universe. It's not bad, but if we were a science-based culture, if we were a science-minded being, maybe I'd say otherwise, but we're not. I think, (laughs) I say this a lot, I get a lot of flack. Humans aren't Good at a lot of things we like to think we're good at. Humans have been the best at science, but I don't think we're very good at science. Hold on. (laughs) Humans have done amazing things with science.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: Humans, here's this side example. Humans are the best beings that have ever driven cars, but I don't think humans are good at driving cars. We're good at thinking about a bunch of things and being like, what did he mean by that? what does this mean? I want to read a book. We're good at poetry and uh-huh. kissing and cuddling and looking at trees and planting flowers. That's what humans are really good at. And these objective things, these things that require precision, like driving and measurements and science is not what our brain It's We're good at it, but we're not the best. And we have to acknowledge that. Uh, is that bad that I'm saying that? But I think it's just, I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie to myself. I think humans are good at a lot of things, but these objective things are not really in our nature. And we really have to fight against the current to to do those things.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, we can't be completely objective. I don't think we can look at the world in a box. And the thing you said about humans being bad is science. There's a major replication crisis going on in psychology research right now. All of these paradigms we've held to be true for so long have suddenly fallen apart. People are trying to replicate them, and they're like, this is not true, or this is not happening, it's not working. And I think that it's hard to separate ourselves from our ideas, right? And that doesn't, it's not necessarily something we're doing on purpose, but like I was talking about before with my interpretation of the song, part of the reason I interpreted it is because I just had to read an article about this idea of the cycle of socialization. And since that was in my mind, since my mind was in that frame, I brought that to the song Cross-Eyed and Painless. Is that what David Byrne and the rest of the talking heads are doing with it? Not necessarily. But we do have these predispositions, these background ideas that I think guide our thought. I think something important to say to that too is it doesn't mean subjective, that subjectivity is reality, like that there's no absolute truth. I think there is truth to reality, But I think our access to it and how we're able to relate to it is affected by our own personal experience. And it's something maybe to take into another angle too. We love to talk about philosophy here, but like phenomenology, right? Talked a lot about existentialism in our last episode. Phenomenology came before existentialism. The idea of phenomenology is all, let's analyze the world based on experience. We don't need to find some absolute truth because that's not how we experience the world. Let's just Look at it through experience, see how we experience it, and that will be our truth. I think it's an interesting philosophy. I think we can apply it to how we do science, that maybe we're not reaching the absolute truth, but that's how we experience the world, so that's good enough.
0: <laughs> I imagine, I love the way you said that, because it just reminded me, Spongebob quote of the week. I
1: there remember we
0: where, the, where the Alaskan bull worm is attacking <laughs> Bikini Bottom, and they say, maybe we'll take Bikini Bottom and push it somewhere else. They're like this massive crowd. Yeah. And I just imagine, like, they're in that similar frenzied up state, like, all these amazing wonders of the world are here to examine. How do we do it? And some person's like, maybe we take our experience and Mm -hmm. make it the truth. And someone's like, hey, I kind of like that. That sounds kind of nice. Like, whatever I see is right. All right. I like that. It's almost like JFK in his speech about going to the moon. We don't do these things because they're easy, but because they are hard. And it is mm-hmm. almost against human nature to be scientists. And that's what's so fantastic about science and wondrous is because we're studying the things that we don't understand, but those things like dark matter and elements of the universe make us up. And somehow they concocted this recipe of observing beings that are naked apes walking <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. eyes fish eyes half of all fish eyes and they're like what does this mean i'm getting worked up here but i think that's the human experience that is what humans are good at is getting worked up about all stuff and like trying to couple meaning and find the truth even if it's impossible
1: yeah i mean that's excellent i want to take jfk and spongebob and explore that a little more (laughs) of course we're gonna go back right (laughs) no i think i didn't think i would hear that
0: sentence today that's all
1: (laughs) JFK and SpongeBob complement each other very well. But you know, like the whole reason I brought this up facts, the misappropriation of facts, fake news. Another way that facts or we can get into trouble too is the idea of groupthink, right? That SpongeBob scene, everyone's like, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's move the town somewhere else. And as you see at the end of the episode, it's not yeah. a great idea. JFK, the Bay of Pigs, right? Everyone was sitting in the room. They had no new voices, they had no one to tell them, no, this was wrong. And they all said, yeah, let's go invade Cuba, we'll do great. And then it resulted in the Bay of Pigs. almost resulted in like a nuclear war. So this group think, I think is related to a lot of these confirmation biases too. When we're in a group of like-minded people, we all rotate around these like specific ideas and it can lead us to going to a bad place because we have no one to introduce that new perspective. And it's just like you said at the beginning of this conversation, is the best way to overcome these confirmation biases, high bias, fake news, negativity bias, is to expose ourselves to as many perspectives as possible. Because then we become in the mindset that not everything we see is, is hear or learn is true. Things conflict with one another, right? There's information that conflicts with one another. It's our responsibility to sort through it and find the facts if that's what we're looking for. If we're just looking for opinions, fine. You should still gain as many opinions as possible to form your opinion from that. But if you're looking for the facts and you've exposed yourself to diverse perspectives, then you're more likely to come... To different to new facts to new news articles with a skeptical mind and say to yourself, Okay, is this really true? Let me do some research, let me make sure it's the case.
0: Well, we've really covered a lot. I mean, to get to a point where we compare the Alaskan bollworm episode of SpongeBob to the Bay of Pigs invasion, yeah, we did it. We did it. We did we solved it. Yeah. <laughs> That's,
1: we took those pills from Limitless. Now I don't think it's about... I think Limitless is something completely different. I'm almost positive Ryan Gosling isn't in it. It has nothing to do with the brain. But...
0: <laughs> I think you're right. But dude, I feel like this is how, whenever we have conversations in mm-hmm. public, this is... We seem like those two characters in that bit where we're <laughs> staring at each other, making exactly. weird faces, giggling to each other. And somehow it makes sense to us because we're obviously being the very massively intelligent people we are, we're operating 100% of our brains. There we but go. People just don't
1: get it. Actually, we're all, fun fact, from the neuroscience major, we're all constantly operate, well, you have access to 100% of your brain. At one time, different areas of your brain are activating with different behaviors, whatever it may be. On, this, on today's segment of Devon Ruins some kind of fun <laughs> <laughs> movie or piece of knowledge, um, yeah, you have 100% access of your brains. That's good to but know. Whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, while we're talking about the brain, I just gotta give a shout out to the the song here, off of American mm-hmm. Utopia, because there's so many great lines about the brain. Maybe we'll do that, that that song soon. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I if I start talking about it, i I just love the line where the song opens up and he says, "And here's the part that connects it to the other side." And there's so many like good. Allegories. It can go back to politics and stuff. Trying to reach out to the other side.
1: I can't wait to talk about because that's the corpus callosum. These patients who had their corpus callosum split to stop seizures and was like they had two separate consciousnesses. That's going to be a great episode. Oh my god! Listeners look forward to that. There's a bit. There's a bit in that. But <laughs> going back to what you said, um, it's out. Uh, which you said with like this: these are our conversations. Because background audience, if this stuff is kept in. Kevin and I were RAs together. Um, you heard from Rachel last week. She was an RA too. That's how we all met each other. But since then, our relationships, our friendships have grown. Into, at our school cafeteria, we would have lunches, you know, bi-weekly, weekly, whatever it may be. And we would basically do what we did on this podcast. Maybe not, it always did relate back to Talking Heads. So yeah. yeah. goes <laughs> this podcast. But, you know, we have these conversations and they would be fun and we enjoyed them. Um, and they'd make sense to us. And I don't know, I think hopefully, as we get to our, because we're planning on after this episode starting to release um, some of these episodes for your listening. We're hoping that maybe you get something out of it and, you know, let us know afterwards. Yeah. Did conversations make any sense? Were they funny to you? <laughs> yeah. Did you appreciate them? Yeah, and that's how we
0: knew we'd been in the cafeteria too long is when. Like what Devin or I would say, and yes, that episode of SpongeBob is just like the Bay of Pigs invasion. And don't tell me otherwise. And then we'd be like, we got to get out of here. We've been here. I'm on my third ice cream, cup of ice cream. Oh, good times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just like our cafeteria meals, I think it's time to call it. And when SpongeBob, Bay of Pigs. We phenomenal- have
1: phenomenology. Brontos, Pluto. we went everywhere
0: yes, we went everywhere and i think that's when we look at each other we pick up our empty plates and we, and we put them away and we say till next time and i think we'll say till next time now Devin, this was great another great episode a lot of fun
1: as we like to end right just with the calf same with our calf dinners too is what what are you going to be thinking about till next week what's gonna make you stay hungry
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: from our conversations today For me,
0: I'm going to think about my
1: openness
0: to new information because this is a nice exercise that we do. We open ourselves up to a new way of thinking about the song and I think that's a way of training that muscle. Now can I get it away from music where I'm very comfortable challenging my beliefs and finding new things to things that are very more broad and, and tough like science, like politics, like social interaction. See how open I am. Uh, to to, to new information and uh, so thank you for introducing that to me and and bringing new information to my life every week Uh, so that's what's gonna keep me hungry what about you
1: similarly trying to expose myself to new perspectives exactly Um, I think that in the past I've taken just on my own analysis like a psychological or philosophical angle but there's so many different ways to go into it and I like that you always bring us back to the music right looking at the music itself the inspiration for it the instrumentation the lyrics i want to try just like you said expose myself to those new voices those new perspectives and try to adopt them right i think even more than listening to other people is being able to actively listen say back to them this is what you're saying so again going to information the same way actively engaging with information adopting those new perspectives and Trying to interpret things in new and productive ways, as I think we do here. So yeah, thanks so much, Kev.
0: Fantastic. I mean, what better way to end that but trying to be two better people? Devin, always a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Uh as always, this is Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. We'll see you next time. Stop making sense. Mm-hmm.